Today, we've got Corey Webster with us on his final episode of Beyond the Rig. He's worked in the transportation industry and night transportation for 32 years. We are going to hear from the great Corey. One more story, Corey Webster. Let's get trucking. This is Beyond the Rig. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Rig. This episode is probably going to make me very, very sad because we have to say goodbye to a very dear friend slash colleague. It's not going to make me that sad. (laughs) I'm actually very excited for him because I hope to be there one day. You know, that's the best way to look at it because I do too. I can't, I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually a little jealous. Plus I know I'm going to see this old guy walking around from time to time, so I'm not too worried. No? No. Retirement does sound good. He's got one of those really nifty little jazzy things that you rev and you can ride around in the grocery store. So I know I'll see him. <laughs> Are you talking about those wheelchairs yeah, with the cars? cars. <laughs> for the elderly. Right, Corey? Great retirement gift. Oh, that's <laughs> so awesome. My God, we should have totally got him one of those. Yeah, that's like a $5,000 joke gift, though, that he, uh, wouldn't, he wouldn't use for probably another two. Actually, Corey will never use it. Hey, we could have just went and got Grand it from Canyon. the, we could have went and borrowed one from the fries. Yeah, that would have been funny. <laughs> All right, well, if y'all haven't guessed, we are talking about Corey Webster. I don't know if the cameras have panned to the man, the myth, the legend, the one more story, Corey I am so excited, I can hardly tell you. Yeah. Are you going to tear up on us, big guy? Maybe. Not at all. <laughs> so if you think of, if you think of, this is how I'm thinking of retirement. The best vacation that you ever were going to go on, and you had to put your tickets booked, reservations made, two weeks before, you're super pumped, you're looking forward to it. The week before, you like can't wait. Mm-hmm. Counting down yeah, times that by 10. <laughs> Maybe times that by 100. And then they tell you, oh, and by the way, you don't have to come back. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good that's, thing. That's how I, I totally am looking forward to it. Yeah? Yeah. Even though I've loved working and I feel, hey, I'm blessed to be in good health. Um, I've enjoyed my career. I've enjoyed everything about it. I think I've had the best job in the industry. Yeah. Um, and so, but there comes a time when maybe there's some other things that could use some time and your attention and devotion. And that's what I want to do. Retirement. And, so and, I and have your a lovely smile wife on is, my face. is okay with it too, right? She's happy to have um, you around a little more. Actually, no. <laughs> so we had this really funny conversation a couple of years ago and I said, Hey honey, if this and this and this happens, I could retire like next month. And she said, well, why would you want to do that? (laughs) And I said, well, maybe because I've worked for 42 years. (laughs) And she said, well, what if I don't want you around at home? Yeah, that's that's a legit legit reason. I know. And I said, well, you can go back to work. Oh, great comeback. (laughs) Exactly. Probably didn't go over well. A great we, comeback. What was so funny is because that conversation was totally spontaneous when she said, well, why would you want to do that? You know, retire. We were both laughing. Yeah. Laughing so hard. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but she's actually pretty excited about yeah. it. I was going to say, Mary, Mary's gotten her heart so clean and pure. She, she probably oh, yeah. was loving every minute of it. You no, know, with the fact that we can 
spend more time with the grandkids and yeah. and family. Yeah. Well, and you can just if you pick say up grandchildren, and go. she's Not, in. She's in. Of course. You know, she's in. Because there's in. nothing better. As you well know. Yes, right? there's nothing As better. Like well it, it's not our job to say no. It's not our job to discipline. So great. So in other words, it's your, it's your job to stir the pot. That's right. It's totally our it's job our to stir the pot. It's our payback to the children. <laughs> well, their children is their payback. I know, but their we get to make it worse. It's great. <laughs> we get it to is. sugar them up and send them home. And it is, is. It true. is payback, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. to the kids. Oh, so. for sure. There was a bumper sticker that I seen, and I never understood it until I had grandkids. But it says, um, some, I'm probably going to butcher, but something to the effect that grandchildren are blessings. No, grandchildren are our rewards for having children. I totally agree with that. It took you that long <laughs> to figure out what that meant? No, I just didn't understand the feeling. Like, really? What? Until like, I, I had the grandchildren. I don't have grandkids, but I can understand the feeling already, Look, Linda. That's my, that's my story. That's all right. You can't make I get it, it up. I get it. It's not your name. I, I get it. It's pretty <laughs> funny. Once you, once you have a grandchild, it changes everything. It's just a different. It's a whole different gig. It's just a different. It's and pretty it, fun. And like they're happy to see you always. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Corey, from 43 years working to grandchildren, take us back a little bit. Let the audience hear and learn a little bit about Corey Webster, where you came from, maybe even how you met your wife, and uh, and then kind of as that spurred into to where you're at now. Just take us back. Well, if I, if I went all the way back and all the way forward – we would need three episodes, and I know that's... Okay, so that let, that's, me, let me rephrase so, that. Corey, so, in a Reader's Digest <laughs> version that lasts about five to ten minutes, yeah. take us back a little bit. What was those books that you could... Leave yeah. out the details, the cliff notes. The cliff notes. <laughs> well, it's funny. When I look in the mirror, I now see an old guy. Okay, that's what which, we all see. Which is... <laughs> and, Although I still feel young at heart, and I still have some great memories growing up in in uh, Sandy, Utah. Nice. Yes. So we moved out on the edge of town, and um, we made our own fun. We always played outside. You know, parents would have to call us in for dinner, and we'd still want to go outside outside so, afterwards. So hold on, hold on, hold on. So when you were being raised and living in Sandy, Utah, that was on the outskirts of town. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with the Utah Salt Lake okay. area, but that Sandy's like right in it the middle clear, of it this was huge clear city on now. The outskirts of town, no, and there crazy. was nothing beyond. Wow, nothing south of. So hence, you see an old man in the mirror. Okay, yeah. okay, I see it. an old man in the mirror, and so I have this <laughs> funny memory um, of you know playing kick the can in the street. Love to play softball out in the dirt lot in the field. Um, what? And then I got interested in pole vault. Oh. And oh, so my wow. friends and I found this big steel pole, big old heavy conduit pipe. Um, it was probably about, I don't know, 10 feet tall. And we said, well, let's pole vault. So how old, we, how no, old were you? Oh, no. I was probably about 14. Okay. And so we said, hey, we, so we got some two by fours and built <laughs> and, nailed, and nailed six inch holes or nails every six inches up. We dug a hole in the ground and stuck them in the ground and then found a piece of number four rebar as a bar. <laughs> so you could, could jump put. over. I mean, yeah, rebar is pretty. Until you, you hit it. <laughs> until you hit it, right? 
And then we, and then, so, so we would, we'd use the pole and jump over the bar and I was actually pretty good at it. And, um, so we got a little higher, you know, first we'd only get five feet, which is about how high you can high jump. Yeah. And then six feet and seven feet and eight feet. And then all my friends would hit the bar about six or seven feet and I could go over seven feet, eight feet. But we would go over backwards instead of turning around and we would go land frontwards because we had to land on our feet because it was dirt. Uh huh. You didn't want to hurt yourself. Right. So we got this bright idea to get a mattress. <laughs> found some old mattress. Now, can you imagine that's nowadays if you found a mattress out in the field somewhere? Yeah, that's pretty gross. Yeah, we found an old mattress and it, nobody wanted to land on the mattress, so they'd still land still on, on our feet. feet. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, that um, I ended up doing pole vault in high school, and and that's how it started. Yeah. Wow. So, so did that? Did the, did the early stages when you're 14 and using all the makeshift mm-hmm. items you did? Did any of it help contribute to any success? Like, or did you have to like reinvent everything of how you did it, the technique, or was some oh. of it? proper technique in a way and it helped you it helped further your your sports career i guess oh, in pole it, no it did and and um planning the pole became natural to me of course that pole was so dang heavy and if you ever if it fell on you or hit you or bumped you you had a <laughs> knot yeah. on your head and of course when when uh, you if you progressed in the sport they had fiberglass poles yeah that would bend oh. and they could rocket you up but i ended up Back in the day, jumping about 13 feet in, in high school, took first place in the region. Wow. Nice. Track meet back then, went to state. You so had to learn yeah. how to fall again and on Oh, but they had these big, mat. big giant mats. <laughs> yeah, and so, nice and cushy. Yeah, yeah. But, it was, but, it was, but it was fun. Since you asked how I grew up, um, after serving a mission for my church in Mexico City where I learned how to speak Spanish in two years, I came back and went to college, attended um, the University of Utah for a year, and then transferred to Brigham Young University, changed my major, and I <clears throat> took me- mechanical engineering as a major, oh. graduated in engineering. Um, met my sweet wife there, who worked at a bank, and after a, a courtship, we Actually, I graduated and moved away, and then we courted long distance. Oh. How long? About six you, months. Before you married her? Yeah. Six so, months total or six no, months we long knew distance? Each other. We, we, six months long distance. We gotcha. knew each other for a couple of years before, um, before we got married. But I signed on with General Electric as a sales engineer and promptly moved to Denver, then to North Carolina, then to Virginia, then to Tucson, Good then Lord. to Wisconsin, then to Detroit as part of that program and promotions with them. Mm-hmm. But when I was in, in North Carolina is when I flew back to Utah. We got married and then... Brought her with you. And brought her. Said, I'm not on this journey alone. Yeah, exactly. So out of all those <clears> places, <throat> which one was your favorite to live? Looking at the... Um, the inv- the Just surroundings, I love living in... Virginia, Blue Ridge Parkway, more so than North Carolina. Very close, very similar, very similar. Love Denver for the sports and just the ambiance there. 
But from the from a people point of view, I loved living in Appleton, Wisconsin. Okay. Midwest. Good so, work ethic. Um, strong families, good community. Um, love the people in Wisconsin. So as an ASU grad myself, I'm assuming that your least favorite place you lived was south of Phoenix. Was south of Phoenix? Yeah. The one I, when I said Tucson? When you said that Tucson. Place. Yeah. So when we... Um, when we northern no when Dallas, I got my permanent it. assignment as a sales engineer with GE that they moved us to Tucson and literally after living in Virginia and North Carolina and Wisconsin um I came to the desert and we landed you're like oh god just the opposite it was really weird we said this place is so cool what but but you landed in yeah. Phoenix and then drove down. Okay, to so when you landed in Phoenix, you said this place is so cool. No, we probably but then you don't. had to drive down there, and you're like, this place is not that cool down here. <laughs> and I don't have enough oxygen masks to put on to actually <laughs> breathe the air <laughs> where I'm living. So I liked it because it was cooler than Phoenix in terms of temperature at night. Oh. But we fell in love with the desert. Then my first child was born there, and that was and that. we 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 fell in love with. Arizona. I was still with GE. Later transferred to Wisconsin and then in Detroit is where um, when I lived in Phoenix, I had an opportunity to get to know Randy Knight better. So when I was in Detroit, it actually came up an opportunity um, in talking about Randy's business, which was total warehousing. He had just left Swift Transportation and he needed a sales guy. And my wife and I had been living back in the Midwest for a few years. Our families were both in Utah, Arizona, and California. And so we had a desire to move back west. So here you are. Yeah. Next. Opportunity came and off you Opportunity went. came. And so I, Randy flew us out to Arizona and um, spent a few days with him watching his look watching what he did in the business in the warehouse business and and I remember a really great conversation we had when he looked at me and said um well what if I don't like you after a couple of months and I end up having to fire you and I said well what if I don't like you after a couple of months and I want to quit and he goes fair enough and so there it went. There it went. And you know, so, it's kind of scary to think. Never happened. Were, it's kind of scary happened. to think you were. I, I mean, think about this. He worked for GE for nine years. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's a long time to work mm -hmm. for a company, and then just like that, you switch to this new total warehousing. GE was huge. Total, totally different industry. But totally different industry. Yeah, like to his credit, uh, let's not forget he was living in Detroit at the time. <laughs> True. You're offering me to come back and leave Detroit to go back to... F I'm in. True. I'm in. I'm, I'm in. in. I'm in. And yes, there was... Hey, there was a little bit of intrepidation of going from back in the day, GE, I think, was a $44 billion yep. company mm -hmm. yep. back in the late 80s. Jack Welch was the CEO, and he was very prominent in the One of the, the more business. successful ones with GE. Exactly. Yep. Probably the most successful yep. one, and Reginald Jones preceded him, but... Um, and then going to a very small 
company yeah. startup basically uh-huh. yeah and, and like that's and, a bit scary and that was my where i first rubbed shoulders with the knights i and i, I okay. had i would have to think that in the process of that decision making in your mind you said hey if it doesn't work out i can always probably get hired back by ge or one of the competitors and so what was interesting is my my uh district manager at the time and I got a call from the regional manager who I only had met once and in fact it was his boss back in New York called me personally Mm -hmm. and said hey you know we're really sad to see you go Um, we we felt like you had a really promising career here but uh, let me tell you that things change sometimes it's not like what it seems and if you even a year from now, if things don't work out, I want you to call me personally. Oh, that's great. And we, we would love to have you come back. Well, that gives, you a, little, awesome. that, that gives you a little security blanket. It was like, yeah. it was like gosh, it's a you no can't. Brainer. It's a no-brainer. You can't lose. If I didn't like Randy after two months, I could call <laughs> GE back up. That worked out. But, so that was in, would you say that was 88? 1988. So 1988, left GE, working for, total, for Randy Knight at Total Warehouse. Yep. A couple of years. Obviously, things went well there. Yep. You didn't fire you. You didn't quit. <laughs> no, Y'all we liked had each take other. Us, at the take time, we had the... about 160,000 square feet of warehouse space. And between Randy and I, we were able to grow that to over 700,000 square feet of warehouse space Ooh. in the Phoenix area just in three or four years. So and, it was just you and he? And, well, you know, he had a whole staff, an office staff. But as far as sales and... He, but, had, but a, the he other, had a foreman in the warehouse. The other and, knights hadn't quite come into the picture oh, yet. Oh, they were still all at Swift. They're still, okay, they Gary, were still at work. Keith, all, okay, yeah. gotcha. And so Randy had signed a non-compete with Jerry Moyes, who was his partner at Swift. Right. And that non-compete expired. And then Randy said, hey, we've got these 15 trucks at Total Warehousing, and we deliver around Arizona, which was part of the agreement that they could do intrastate but he wanted to do interstate because we had a lot of shipments from arizona going to california with the warehouse customers yeah and he wanted to get interstate authority deregulation was kind of winding down uh it was deregulation that was taking hold and regulation was winding down <clears throat> but we still had to get um authority and be sponsored by shippers so um i went to Ralston Perina and Clorox Company and Rubbermaid, who were warehouse customers, and asked them if they would, if they would consider sponsoring a new company, oh. Night Transportation. They said sure, and it was it was really great. We had good relationships with those guys, so that was kind of the paperwork oh, piece. That's cool. Yeah. And then Kevin and Keith have been they on our podcast, side. and they talked about yeah, you yep. know what it was like to to you know break away from swift and and then start night and they all showed up somewhere around march 1st in 1990 and and the planning began off we guys went yeah so you were you were on those initial startups and it was so fun to watch it was so fun to watch this happen and in my mind i thought well gosh these guys have so much experience at swift it would it's it, it ought to be pretty easy for them to duplicate something over with yeah. a new company and yet right away i noticed they wanted to be 
different. They had a completely different idea in terms of focusing on profitability, on safety, on our driving associates. And that was probably the the drivers. Relationships with the drivers. That was probably one of the biggest things that I saw. And they, and they created a business model just right there before my eyes watching this happen. And it was really cool. They wanted one truck, one trailer, so that all the drivers, if they had to get into a different truck or a different trailer, they would. It wouldn't matter. They'd know it. It'd be easy for them. Yeah, they'd know it. And they'd know it. And and so, you know, they they had a, a great name in the industry and they um they borrowed some money from Mercedes Benz, which I think was the the parent company of Freightliner and had a contract for um a hundred trucks. So they wanted to get up to a hundred trucks as quick, quick as, as they possible. could to get some density. Yeah. And um yeah. So that was the and there went. Off they went. Now, because I was doing sales work for the warehouse, it was easy to do also do it for transportation Same. because a truck had to bring the product into the warehouse and a truck had to deliver it. it. So is that, is that kind of, so now night transportation starts up. Do they look at you, Corey, and they say, hey, okay, Corey, you're going to be a part of this startup deal that we're doing. We want you to be in sales. Was that yep. your first job right into night transportation? Yep. Right away. So I wore two hats. So when I got when I call on customers, oftentimes I'd call on my existing customers for the warehouse and say, Hey, we can now deliver into California or bring you product mm-hmm. in. And they go, Oh, perfect. We give them rates. So low hanging oh, fruit wow. right there. So low hanging. And then as we got customers for night, it was easy to go to them and say, for the warehouse. by the way, we've got some warehouse space in Arizona. And they would say, I need a place to do some cross dock or some storage. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I got that. And this. so we did business with Price Club. Oh, first back in the on day. On the trucking side. Price Club. When you say Price Club, that's going way back. <laughs> way way back. Before, back. Before Costco came yeah. along and purchased them up. And uh, we became what, uh, a warehouse for those guys. That's cool. Wow. Um, that's really cool. So, yeah, I wore two hats to begin which, with. Which isn't <laughs> shocking because, as any of us know that have worked for night for you wear some many time. Hats. Lots of hats. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you they ask you to do. There's going to be several other things you're doing that has oh, yeah. no relation to oh, what yeah. you've been Lots asked of to hats. do. Yeah. So, so for example, all of us when we started the business worked weekends because trucking is a twenty four seven seven. Drivers have to, have to do it. Three hundred sixty five days a week. The drivers are out there. So each one of us, you know, whether it was. Randy or Gary or Keith or Kevin or Clark Jenkins, our our CFO uh, and operations folks like Carl Ames, Mitch Atkinson, Larry Knight, they all would we'd all take turns and rotate on the weekend dispatch. Even the sales guy. So you got to dispatch trucks too. Had to learn, <laughs> and because of my engineering background, Just which say, is really funny. When you're an engineer, you got to yeah. know how to do everything. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to learn how to l- work the computer. Yeah, enter the orders and actually dispatch the trucks, and and yeah. so I did. Well, pretty soon, uh, I was the only other guy that really knew how to do it on the the, the dispatch, yeah. other than the, the dispatchers. Oh wow! So I got pulled in. <laughs> Right quite away. often, right, right away. away. Yeah. So, 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 what is so clearly, sorry, Linda, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, you talked about how Gary said, 
What if I don't like you in two months and I, I want to fire you? Now. I mean, Randy, yeah. sorry, and, I'll, and I want to fire you. Yeah. So when it came time for the night to start up, did he vouch for you with all of the the brothers and the cousins and whatever, or did, or was it just a natural? It was flow? a natural thing. Hey, we were already there. We That's were cool. already working together. There was really no boundaries. That's and, great. And so everybody just did whatever it took. Yeah. And um, but then the day came about. I'm trying to remember. I think it was about three years in, and night took off and was growing like crazy because by the end of the first year we had a hundred trucks. So they did ramp up quickly. Yep. And so, you know, Keith was over there selling freight like crazy in Southern California. And I've never seen anybody work so hard and <laughs> called on so many customers. And, um, but he was a terminal manager for Swift over there. So he, so he knew. loved drivers and worked with them all the time. And there's some, some great drivers. So when we, when it came time for us to start, um, we put an ad out, and I can't remember how how it went, but we we only looked for drivers with a minimum of ten years experience. Right, that's insane. That's such a long time in today's yeah. environment. But can you imagine ten years experience? And to me, that's like amazing. We had drivers lined up out the door. Wanting to come because they heard such great things. Well, and and because they these guys had such a great reputation in the transportation industry, you know they all lots of drivers knew these guys and wanted to be associated with them. That's crazy. But think about it. Naturally, drivers that have driven for ten years they they know how to drive. Mm -hmm. They're safe. They're super safe because they've been living it. They are experts at customer service. And they're great at communication. Now think about this. Back in the day, you guys are way too young to remember this, but there were no computer. Or there were no. There was no internet. So time out. Time out. There was computers, but <laughs> don't <there> sell us <laughs> short. We grew up in the era of zero computers. I did. But didn't. that's when you were I like had a computer. Your, okay, the okay, wealthy internet. had a computer <laughs> in the internet. Those of us that grew up on Skid Row. <laughs> we didn't have computers. You had a little Apple computer sitting on you. I it? had a Rolodex. We had. we had an Apple. And a rotary phone. <laughs> exactly. Hey, have you seen the YouTube watching two 15-year-olds with a rotary phone <laughs> on the desk? <laughs> Try to figure it out. Yeah, and, and they have to make a phone call. And they're like, what, and the adult what do you says, do with this? You, you, yeah, they, it is the funniest thing. They have no clue. You tell How kids, to, yeah, you tell kids these days, we had cords on our phones and had to like stretch it a mile long to go into like the pantry so that nobody heard who you're talking yeah, about. You either, yeah, had, you either had a cord on the handset yeah. that stretched a mile. All the way. Or and the it always balled up. On the it was cordless. the worst. <laughs> or you had the cord that plugged into the wall <laughs> that you could drag it around. The, it was the absolute right? worst. Right? Right? right, right. How many times did you get in trouble for taking that phone and you're stretching it out so the, yeah. the coil now is stretched See, and so it hangs your down. Mom your mom and dad gets so, so mad. angry. You're like, I gotta be able to have my conversation without anybody <laughs> interrupting. So what's the, fun, the funniest thing is is when you wanted to call your girlfriend or oh, your yeah. boyfriend at night. Oh yeah. Well. And if, and if you only had two phones in the house and one was in the kitchen yep. and one was in the family room you had to wait till everybody was asleep. Yeah. 
and then well, you could go sneak and get on the phone. Well, and yeah. call. Not only that, but then you you call your girlfriend, and, and you know had, you got to talk to either mom or dad, who usually answers well, the phone. It rings fast, and you're you know? just like, "Hi, no. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I'm so just Kaylee there." No, no, no. Who is this? You this tell is them. Brett. You tell them what time you're going to call. They mute the phones. Exactly. See, I wasn't See, educated enough growing up on knows. Skid Row. <laughs> she knows like those exactly. wealthy people in Dallas. You got to turn the ringer down. And you agree yes. on the time. And then they're right there by the phone. As yeah. soon as and it rains, I would pick just it up. say, you know what? This is too difficult. Why don't I just sneak out? You sneak out. We meet up. I, <laughs> true statement. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. We just totally derailed. We, you totally derailed. <laughs> we, dig- we digressed. Continue. Now, what were we talking about? The phone. Oh, the phones. Okay. Yeah. Phones. So, and drivers, right? Yeah. You were saying that we didn't grow up in a computer era and I had to correct you. Yeah, but yeah, go yeah. on. Yeah. And I really meant the internet era because the computers were starting to come around. We at least had computers. But back in the day, drivers um, didn't have cell phones. Right. right. And so when we started the company, this is how it worked. Every driver had a notepad. And that notepad was like their Bible. And they would write down information on for every dispatch. Wow. Like the trip number, the pickup time, the address, um, the, the pieces, the weight, all of relating information that we had to give them. And then the dispatcher had to verbally give them directions to the consignee or the pickup. And they would write them down. And they had this little code, you know, left on this street, right on this street, I-10, 200 miles. And and they could write the directions pretty quickly in code Mm -hmm. on their pad. So was customer service getting loads on time worse then than it is now? Or was it better then than it is now? Um. Honestly, I would say better. <laughs> That's awesome. Because wow. there weren't. There's not a whole bunch to stop. It's pretty precise. No, pretty precise. Things couldn't go wrong, yeah. And there were no cell phones, so it was yeah. all pay phones, if you can imagine. Pay phones and Thomas Guides. Thomas Guides and the Road Atlas. I told you, I grew up on the, Skid Row. The, the Road Atlas. So can you imagine your driver, and we were, we would require all of our drivers to... They, it was mandatory. You had to call us at least twice. So you had to find a spot to or a truck stop to go to a payphone. And every truck stop had a bank of, of payphones. Because I, I people, remember the era of the pe- payphones. People would stand in line, yeah, and every customer airports too. would have two or three payphones in their receiving office or so shipping office, so the drivers could could use them. So did you guys use like calling cards or did they have exact change all the time? The 800 quarters. numbers. Oh, oh the 800 so, so numbers. So they would call us on an 800 number so they didn't need any, any money. money. But they did have a calling card to call customers. Okay. Oh, just so, in case so we had an 800 <clears throat> number, but this is how it worked. You had to dial the 10-digit Card number. Card number. Yeah. <coughs> then the 10 digit yep. customer number. So, yep, remember. And if the call didn't go through, you had to do it all again. Yep. I, re- <laughs> I remember those days well. Okay. So you remember that. We wanted to call in the morning so we know they were okay. Yeah. yeah. They had a good night's sleep. And Makes then we they did find out, hey, did you arrive at your, your stop or your, or, or, and wow. then, and then when you got to the customer, you had to call again. Right. So I'm here. You got them. I'm delivering my load. And you, you tell them what time you got there. And if there was any 
accessorials or any other things that they had to do. And then they also had to call when they... Ready to leave. Uh-huh, departed. So that, that way you could give them their next load. Yep. Wow. So, so that was what it was like to be a driver back in the day. Yeah. And man, those, remember I told you about, they needed 10 years experience. Yeah. We yeah. had, we had such great drivers. Oh, I'm sure they were all and, over and it. And I, and I remember many of them still. John Stallings, uh, T.C. Burris, um, Bud Ferreira, Papa Smurf, John Adams, Jack Lovell, um, Peter Moppa, Joe Philpot, Don Ring, Ken Seeler. These guys were amazing. Now, I don't know if people really know this, but but this was before we had ELDs. Yeah. <laughs> so our electronic <coughs> logs were usually paper. Paper logs. Paper. And sometimes there was more than one paper. <laughs> you know, multiple Darren logs. Yeah, multiple, multiple log logs. But, um, and they, drivers used to work really hard and they, they were really good at what they did. Yeah. And I, I love the fact that at, uh, at night they introduced an open door policy yeah. mm -hmm. from the very beginning. So drivers could come into the office and talk with Kevin Knight or Randy or Gary, and many of them knew them previously. Mm -hmm. And, and they could that. talk with their dispatchers, and <clears throat> and they they treated treated them as team members. And they were they were if we didn't have driving associates, we didn't have a job. And, yeah. and that's always been that's a staple today. of of night from the very beginning was the drivers. It's all about the drivers. Make sure that we welcome the drivers. We don't treat them like a number, uh, which is something that that I think is fantastic. Yeah. So, thirty two years with night. You just talked about some of the prehistoric days, <laughs> all paper and, and writing things down, which I can remember writing cramps in schools because we didn't have computers to type stuff up. Skid Row was a terrible place to be raised. <laughs> <laughs> Walk us through a little bit of that evolution. Did the technology age, the technology era, because you, my friend, had You got to both. witness it. Right, yeah. you had both that you got to witness and live through. So, for our listeners, just talk a little bit about how night it came into that that technology era and what they've done and what you see them doing even now. Um, that is a great thing because it has been an evolution. Because we were so focused on cost to begin with, we did not have in cab communications for ten years. Wow. Wow. So from 1990, clear up to almost 2000, we did not have Qualcomm or yeah. some other in-cab communication. And that was kind of the choice of the day, but it was very expensive. And so we did, um, the first the first step in the evolution was to get a pager. <laughs> a beeper. <laughs> a beeper. Which literally the were big around the, the turn beepers. of the century. Oh, yeah. They were yeah. huge. And so... <laughs> Awesome. And and so we got our drivers beepers and pagers so we could Yeah, now you can talk send to them. a message to them yeah. and say, Hey, call us. I need to talk to you. And so that provided the next level of, of communication. But finally and around two thousand and and a lot of our customers were saying, Well, do you have in cab communications? All of a sudden that was kind of like the buzzword. They wanted that. They wanted that and wanted that. So we so we bit the bullet and and invested in Qualcomm and they were great big console things where you could 
type in. It was kind of like the old green screen yeah. computers, mm-hmm. right, for drivers. Um, another f- little fun factoid was EDI, Electronic Data Interchange with Customers, started to take hold in the, in the mid to late 90s. And that's where customers could send us orders through a third party, like a computer in the sky, and we would agree on a template, uh, a formatting of the data, and we could actually, they could send us loads, load information, mm-hmm. rather than a fax or a phone call oh, or yeah. an email as email started to come on. So I remember <clears throat> we really didn't have an IT department. You know? Yeah, you didn't need Probably one. Probably no need. Yeah. yeah. And so I went out and bought a, a, a desktop computer, and a packaged software that would allow us to talk to Kleinschmidt, the cloud in the sky. And so I set, I personally set up the first EDI system. And like two or three times a day, we'd go log in and see if there were any orders. And then, oh, yeah, you got four, five orders coming down. And now, oh, my gosh. Some of the customers we have T1 connections directly to customers. Yeah. Yeah. And thousands and thousands of orders come in. And not only that, customers now are so sophisticated that they want the status updates sometimes every 30 minutes. They want to know not only if the the load's been picked up. Where's it at? Where's it at? And And is it tracking its scheduled delivery time? And so some customers actually track each order Mm. in route. Because the technology exists. Yep. So that was that was one evolution. So the in cab communication with Qualcomm was 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 uh, one of the things. Then over the years, as that improved, the the devices got smaller and smaller. And now, literally, you can use your cell phone to receive all of your dispatch information, your payroll information, directions to customers. Um, gone all, is the all, day yeah, where you gotta write it. Now, yeah. <laughs> gone is the day where you. In fact, one of one of our um, podcasts was about one of our drivers, Paul Ling, who uses technology to make him way more efficient by putting a pin on every truck stop, every rest location, every customer that he's been to, and now he has this network um, on lanes that he likes to drive. And he knows where to take his brakes and he knows where to fuel and he knows oh. because he's... Because he's been there. Because he's... Per- and he's mapped it. And he's mapped it. And so... Yep. Interesting. And and yeah, and, that and, really and, cool and at, at night now, the in-cab communication is mirrored to what you can see on your phone and vice versa. So okay. you have a tablet in the phone. On trailers now have, you know, trailer tracking. And they can sense whether you're loaded, whether you're empty. You, you've got... Um, You've got driver uh, lane assist for trucks. You've got the Bendex system, which is the radar system, which will keep you and bring your truck to a stop sometimes if you're too close. in cruise control and you're going too close. And anti-roll, so super everything. Safe. But one of the best technologies, I think, that has come that, that can really help um, drivers is the camera systems. Smart drive. We, we call ours a smart drive. And why do I think that's so good is, um, number one, it really provides protection for people that want to make false claims. Against the driver. 
against drivers. Which happens all the time. It does, you know, because you're a big truck and you've got a big billboard on. And if you're, if you, if you make a dumb maneuver, I mean, I just saw some video of a, I call it funny because nobody was hurt, fortunately, where a truck's clearly signaling to make a right-hand turn at an intersection. So they swing a little bit wide, and then a car tries to sneak in mm. past them and gets jammed up by the truck mm. who was ahead of them and legally signaling. And legally know, turning. And legally, legally turning. turning. And, you know, just things like that. So the forward-facing camera has really helped the the technology, especially because it's tied to a lot of the sensors in the truck. And mm-hmm. so that, that camera system can sense hard braking, um, overspeed. It can detect if, you, if you're like turning a corner and the yaw sensor goes off to help prevent yeah. rollovers. Rollover. And it will trigger a recording that can be used as training for drivers. U-turns. Yes. U- it'll U-turns. sense U-turns, you know, which are absolutely verboten at night transportation. You know, drivers can, can do, do a U-turn safely at a truck stop or a customer's location or yeah. in a parking lot somewhere, but not on a highway. But these camera systems can teach and help drivers improve their their safety skills which to me is amazing invaluable amazing yeah. thing and we use them to coach drivers yeah so that boy it's come a long way yeah for sure and and headed even further when you talk about oh, yeah. autonomous trucks yeah. and you know i don't think there'll ever be a day when you don't have a driver in it's kind of like you won't get on an airplane without a pilot without, a without pilot. two at least without a two minimum pilots, of right? two but it might be able to help yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be able to help as far as transit too, getting across the country. If you've got two yep. drivers in there, one can sleep while the other just sits in the the cockpit, so to speak, as it goes. Yeah, so. for sure. Think um, about think about you could get your degree while you're cruising. Mm-hmm. You could homeschool a child if they're on the road with you. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot. I've, I've also seen you know thirty years evolution in all the drivers back in the day. The the, the demographic of a driving associate back early years was. 45 to 55. Because we needed 10 years of experience. And they needed 10 years of experience. And those guys have all retired. Yeah. You know, because we've, we've moved on the down pi- the, the road. Pioneers. Well, and they the stayed out trucking. longer, right? They, Back yeah, in the they day. never came home. They were always they out were, on the they road. Were, they were, they they were, were always out. Hardcore truckers. Yeah. And they were out for two weeks at a time and, and then came home. And I, and I, you know, God bless their families and wives that, you stayed know, home and stayed home and held down the fort. Um, yeah. I can remember when I started driving, um, my parents would always say, be nice to the truckers. Um, and if you ever need anything, they're the ones who will always stop because they typically had a CB because you didn't have telephones. And so if you were broke down the side of the road, it was normally a truck driver who stopped to call for help if you needed help or help change a tire. Or, or at least that's been my experience. It's so um, true. And, and that's they what were I that was way. told. That was like the code of the road. Mm-hmm. Is the, you could always count on, always count on the driver. truckers to, to stop and help. And um, now the demographic is a lot different. Yeah, it's, it's totally different. younger and What's younger and in? younger, and there's lots more people that are joining the industry. And so if I were to put a plug-in for people thinking about a career, it is um, driving is a um, 
an honorable and an amazing profession. It's no um, joke. It's tough. And it's 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 can be difficult in terms of sacrifice, mm-hmm. but at the same time can be very rewarding. Um, a lot of people join because they want to see the countryside while they're working. Yeah. Right. A lot of people enjoy, enjoy being kind of your own boss in terms of going where you want to go. Yeah. yeah. You know, and stuff. Technology yeah. has made it easier to stay close to your families and your friends, you know, FaceTiming FaceTime, them and, yeah. you know, video, videoing all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And the industry has improved. You know, the, the hours of service have, have made it easier for you to maintain your health, <clears throat> um, driving only a certain number of hours in a day, which, is, which has kind of <clears throat> helped customers adjust to what makes a better lifestyle for our, for our driving associates. And, um, obviously in the last few years, the pay finally has been increasing. So, so you can have a really great lifestyle now as a, and a great career as a driving associate. One of the things that I wish would be a little bit different is, um, I don't know how this ever started, but, Drivers tend to be a little nomadic, and it's not uncommon to go from, you know, company, company, to, company. to company to company, thinking the grass is greener, greener. on the other side. And um, I've noticed that lots of drivers come back after they've left. They left for whatever reasons, whether they thought the grass was greener or they had some family, family situations or, or they just needed to be home more, and so they leave, and they, but then they come back. Um but one of the things that's interesting to me is if you ever did an economic analysis of <laughs> jumping, leaving, ship. jumping a ship and going to a new company, <laughs> um, it usually takes about 12 months at a higher salary to catch up what you lose in even just a week or two transitioning to a new company. Yeah, I was I loved when Paul used to do that demonstration Um to the drivers because you don't yeah nobody actually really sits back and thinks about that mm-hmm. and so um yeah, you miss a week or two of pay and it takes you and then if let's say you had a two cent raise in your in your your pay to a different company right it would take you a year just to make up what you missed the two years and by the then things. you would have had a raise with your old company yeah, yeah. so it's a good point so that, yeah. that's one of the things that's um to me, I, 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 um, you know, I've looked at working for the same company for 32 years. And holding how many jobs? How many jobs do you have here? Well, let's see. <laughs> One, two, see. three, four, five, six, seven, seven different, oh. seven different wow. jobs. Nice. I spent a long time in sales. Yeah. yeah. I did uh, four years in operations with the company and went back into sales on a, you know, as a VP of sales and I had a more of a regional assignment and then, um, um, was asked to work on our logistics side and then make a major change in helping identify and hire new people, which was super fun. And then our CEO asked me to help develop training for the company about five years ago. And that's the best job ever. <laughs> I've had the best job in the company. I mean, for the you get last to see every years. new person, new driver, and you get to set new the tone. office, 
which yeah, is it's awesome. Been, it's been amazing. So, Corey, 32 years. You're roughly 68 years of age, pushing 70. You're an old man. It's okay. It's all right. You look great for an old guy. Hey, he Thank can you. still hike. You, I was going to say, you have created an, a, a very unique tradition. It's not, it's within night, but it's not necessarily a night sponsored tradition. But you were a part of the original group that said, hey, we're going to get together with a group of people and we're going to go hike the Grand Canyon. Every October. And this has happened now for, I'm going to let you talk about it, every fall for I don't know how many years. And it's probably, you've probably seen this small little group grow into this massive group because it ends up going out to everyone and there's a bunch of people to go. So talk us through a little bit of that. Um, well, that's been a passion of mine ever since it started. Um, I, I'm going to go back one little step further. So we used to play basketball in the morning. Keith Knight, Ke- well, Keith was in California. Kevin Knight and Larry and Randy Knight. Really? They- and, and, and some cronies of theirs, some friends of theirs. Kevin some cronies? Yeah. yeah. Some cronies. And, we, and, and we would meet at 5.30 at the church and play basketball at least three times a week. And it was super fun. And in 1989, in one morning, and, and we usually had enough to make, there was about 15 people, so we'd have three teams. And the loser would rotate out, and the new guys would come back in. If you won, you stayed on the court, and you played the next game, played the next game. So I happened to be on a team that won right at 6.30 when we would take off. And the team that we beat says, one more game. Come on, one more game. They wanted a rubber match. So we started to play the rubber match. And about halfway in, um, I had a steal and was heading down to court to make a fast break. And went up to lay the ball in. I want to think in my mind I was going to stuff it, but let's just say I. <laughs> we know that's I, probably not I, the I case. Did, I did that's a all right. And I came down, and one of the guys that was there kind of slid under me, and my foot landed sideways, and I broke my ankle severely. My leg oh. bone drove the bone out of my ankle, split it in half, and my foot was ninety degrees. God, yeah, that it was hurt. crazy, and so. Clark Jenkins and his brother, and we were only about a mile and a half from the hospital. They said, should we call? I mean, you looked at my foot and it was hideous. It was, and it sounded like a two by four went Snap. crack <sighs> and I crumpled to the ground, you know, but the ball went in <laughs> for the we record were, and we were ahead. So, so anyway, I ended up having to have surgery on my ankle and it was a, a pretty severe injury and they had to put pins in it and everything. And they said, Hey, you're, your basketball Your days over. days are over. Yeah, and it was. I mean, it. I. It, it. I have about fifty percent of the range of motion I used to have. But anyway, I can still hike. So one day, Gary Knight um, and some of his friends invited or, or told me about how they had gone the year before and hiked the Grand Canyon. And you're like, whoa. Yeah, and this was in 1993 and or 92, and I felt <clears> like, <throat> what? I missed out on this? How come you guys didn't even invite me? Well, you got a broken something. <laughs> you're you know? hurt. Yeah, you're hurt. So I ended up going the next year with them in 93 and that group of people, and um, what an amazing experience. 
I haven't done it yet. I really want to. Hiking down seven miles to the Colorado, across seven miles to Cottonwood, then hiking up on the North Rim seven miles to the top. It's about 21 miles. It's like a, I I compare it to people that like run marathons. When they get some, they get done. Exhilarating. Exhilarating. And it's, it's like a physical, emotional, and spiritual experience looking at the grandeur of the Grand Canyon and looking back to see where you started. And so we went again the next year. And back in the early days, we used to go hike Saturday across, stay over Sunday, and then hike Monday back. Oh, wow. So we did that for a number of years, back and forth. Well, I, well after doing it, you know, for about five years, um, I invited some of the other nights to go. Gary was the first, and then he ended up not going for uh, for a while. But I invited Keith and Larry to go, and I could never get them. Really, they were kind of, you know, pansies. They, <laughs> they 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 didn't want to go, and finally Larry came with me one time, and then he was hooked. And then finally, finally, I got Keith to go, and probably about ten years ago. And what, then when Keith, some of those early guys died out, and then. Keith went and Jim Updike went and they were new generation, yeah. new generation. And so now it's evolved again to where sometimes there's, you know, 50 people that want to go plus with us. But I've hiked the Grand Canyon rim to rim 23 times. And my, my kid, I've got four kids and my oldest has done it twice. Uh, seconds done it three times. My son's done it three times, and I still have my youngest daughter to go. And th- I think this is the year. Yeah. And my goal is to be able to hike it at least when I'm seventy. Oh. You know well, that's going to be pretty easy. Yes. Hopefully but for him. Hopefully. You're, you're, you're pretty you're much there, and you're yeah. already hopefully. doing it. <laughs> but yeah. So finally, so finally, so the first time those guys went, Keith and Kevin, uh, or or not Kevin, but Keith and Larry and Jim. I said, okay, now we're going to hike back, right? And they go, no. And I said, seriously, you're not going to hike back with me? Well, no, we got to go back to work. I said, well, you take an extra vacation day, you know? <laughs> so we all hiked over on Saturday, and there was probably, I don't know, 30 people that were their friends and stuff. And um, then they all took off and well, left. They, and, on, uh, and on Monday... I hiked back by myself. <gasps> how did they leave? If because everybody was driving, but are there cars? shuttles that take you back to the south? There rim? are, oh, there okay, are, okay. but, but the, yeah, there are shuttles because that it's, take I mean, you the back. north and south rim are yeah, far pretty apart. far apart. So, yeah. so anyway, that's the the legacy of the Grand Canyon. I that's hope awesome. that you'll wow. come and so do it. So going back, like I'm intrigued because I want to do it, um, but I don't want to go rim to rim. Back. I don't want to. No, I just want to go, go one time. Yeah. Um, but the second day, like, that's when it starts hurting, like, your legs. Oh, you like, will. they're already you'll a, sore. You'll be amazed at what a good night's rest and some food does to your body. You wake up totally rejuvenated. Well, you wake up still pretty dang sore. Yeah. And everybody well, does what they if call you're 65. the Kaibab the shuffle. You're, you're killing it. But, but what happens on the way down, you go a half a mile or a mile. And then, boom. Everything Muscles are ready. Everything's loosened up. You feel better than you did the, the, the first hard day. part about the Grand Canyon is most hikes you do are on mountains. And so you hike up to the top and you get to the top and that's like the pinnacle. 
and then coming back, it's all downhill. And, it's and you've expended relaxed. all that energy yeah. when you're fresh. Yes, get it up. The Grand Canyon, it starts with you going down, and you have to finish no matter where you go, whether you go rim to rim or rim to rim to rim, you're coming out. And when you're you coming come out, up. and it's a brutal come out. So it's so by the time you've hiked yeah. 16, 17, 18 miles, the hardest part is yet to come. Yeah. You still have 4,000 feet of elevation it's to brutal. gain. It's brutal. The last three miles. So is there a rail so that I don't fall off from exhaustion? No, no but the switchbacks, are pre- when you start coming out, they're pretty wide. Unless you go to some of the more remote. If you come to, if you go to Bright Angel and some of the more oh, yeah. like South Kaibab, they got tell- plenty of room. But if you do some of the. you went and hiked this thing? I've hiked it a ton. Really? Yeah, I backpacked it. You hiked? Like the Boucher Trail and some of those. Oh, those are so fun. Those are more remote. There's Thunder, those are Thunder River. Thunder River. is amazing. Yeah. Wow, I'm impressed there, Stabler. Why? I didn't know this about I do, you. I do a lot of backpacking. Didn't know this. Sweet. This isn't so about I'm... me, Linda. This is about Corey. <laughs> I know. You're not ready to retire right, yet. Come on. So I've gotten a long time to go. Plan it's a not backpack. that long. So, so, Corey, you've had 32 years working with drivers, right? Yeah. And um, you've got to talk to so many. I know you even named a few. Um, Papa Smurf is the one that comes to mind. Of course, Joe Philpot, but Papa Smurf because it's, such a cute name. Um, but can you share with us any, what have they taught you over the, over the years? Oh, what lessons well, have you learned or what yeah. lessons would you give? So many. Um, first of all, they're, they're, um, our driving associates are the lifeblood of the company. And I just have so much admiration for what they do every day, um, for who they are, the sacrifices they make. But um, getting to know them as people is the be- the is the best thing. Mm-hmm. The their you know the hobbies that they have, the things that they like, the things that they do, their yeah. interests, and um, just the, just their stories. Um, you know, recently we had on the podcast a, a young lady who, you know, after a life changing experience midlife. You know, mm-hmm. she went through a. Um, a, a heart-wrenching divorce and decided to take up driving and you, boy you you mm-hmm. and happy so happy now and feels fulfilled and successful um all walks of life one i remember many of our drivers have master's degrees mm-hmm. and to college had professional lives and for whatever reason followed their dreams to be driving associates um the things that the, the the things that have affected me are, you know, the friendships that we've made, the uh, uh, human interest stories where our drivers have stopped and helped other people oh, yeah. selflessly, and there's many, many, many of those. Um, and the fact that they uh, care enough to come and talk to us mm-hmm. and share with us. I mean, some of my sales success came from um, many of our driving associates that would give us recommendations on places that they've been and hauled freight for, and they ended up being our best customers. Um, And just the dedication um, I've, I've, that's affected me. That's Um, great. And it's, and I've many friends that are, are driving associates. And um, thought I'd share with you one more story. One, one, more, last. one, more, one last story. Yeah, one from last Corey. story. Just, uh, just, just, and this will give you an idea. So, um, many years ago, and I'm trying to remember back, and I may have been around 2009, 
um, at our terminal or in the building next to our terminal was a um, huge stack of about 250,000 pallets and they caught on fire. And so we had this huge fire at our facility, like right on the premises. And right away it became apparent that it wasn't going to be put out. Well, um, as it got larger and larger and larger, we had two buildings, one with all of our office people in, and then one we leased out as a warehouse. And that's where all the pallets were. The fire got so hot and so intense that there was a row of about 10 or 11 trailers that were probably 50 feet away from the fire, and they spontaneously combusted. And oh, Lord. Those trailers burst <clears throat> into flames and burned down. Well, between the two warehouses were about another nine or ten trailers full of pallets. And it it was a perfect bridge. Between the two buildings? Yeah. And one of our drivers, Richie Blake, jumped in his tractor while these flames were hundreds of feet in the air on the other side of the warehouse, hooked up to those trailers and pulled them out one by one by one until it got too hot and he left the last trailer. So there was a really big Big distance. And literally, I think he, you know, he he risked himself himself to save everybody else. To save night. Yeah. And Mm. that's always in my mind stood out. And he just did it as a, and and even if you talk to him today, Richie will say, oh, that's, that was. What else was I supposed to do? Yeah. What else was I supposed to do? Just a humble guy. And um, I just appreciate all the friendships in the industry. And, and have such great admiration for for those that we work with. I but, didn't know that story. Yeah. Wow. Well, Corey, 32 years. Yeah. Your final hoorah here with us today. Thank you. We Thank appreciate you. So much. you. I've only been with Knight for, for six years, but I can tell you without a doubt, I appreciate the heck out of everything you've done for me and teaching me the, the culture, the history and all of the knowledge of, of what has gone into night transportation. You're so kind. I think it's the, I'll miss the stories. I really will. I thought we were going to make it the whole time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Where those are tears of joy that she's giving you. There's the tears of jealousy. <laughs> and yeah. jealousy, but it's, a, uh, it's knowing that, hey, we're not going to get to see our Corey every day I know. during work days, but I may pop in from time to time. We know we'll see you. <laughs> yeah. We'll see you from time to time. And Hey, you know what? You've given a lot of years to this company and, and Hey, now you get to give a lot of years to your family and we, I know. And we love that. I'm excited for that. I'm excited yeah. wait for, for you. that. So, but anyway, I'll miss you. Thank you. It's been awesome. And, um, yeah, I, I can't overstate how grateful I am to have been a part of this industry and this company. Thank you, everyone, for, for watching and for listening. Go out and follow us on social media at Beyond the Rig and stream Beyond the Rig wherever you may listen to podcasts. And let's take this last line together. Ready? Ready. One. Keep on trucking.
We enjoyed bringing this show to you, and we hope you had fun along the way, too. We're going 1010 for now, but you can catch us on the side on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Beyond the Rig and Drive Night. Until next time, be safe out there and keep trucking.